1: Announcements, announcements, announcements. That's what happened at my summer camp, overnight camp, when they had something to say. There was lice or some sort of other vermin or rodents or something going on. Announcements is the word of the day for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, a day that I've had circled on my calendar for, I don't know, six months? I don't know if anyone else ever gets this, but when you're looking forward to a day And it seems so far in the future. And then you realize, yeah, it's three weeks away. And then you sort of focus on it. Yeah, it's next Tuesday. And then all of a sudden it's now, and then it's done. Today, I get to start the day with the Academy Award nominations and finish the day with the Hall of Fame announcement for Major League Baseball. What a great day. It's not Ichiro's year for the Hall of Fame. So I'm not super, super pumped the way I will be for next year's Hall of Fame announcement when I hope Ichiro becomes the first position player to be unanimously elected on his first ballot, and he should be. Find me one writer who won't click the box. 4869. Find me one writer who won't check the box for Ichiro next year. I don't know if I've told you this before, but Academy Award nominations, I've, I just love the Oscars, I love movies, I've loved them since I was a child a way for me to escape reality. I would watch movies alone, go to movies alone, no problem. I always thought that I wanted a life that was in the movies, not making movies, but that my life would be a movie. Every romantic comedy, every family, every everything, that was gonna be my life. And I would chase Amy forever trying to find that life. And Academy Award nominations, I then do a pool, I do a pool with friends, then I did a pool with my kids, and I try. Last year, I won the pool. We don't play for anything, we don't gamble on it, we don't play for money, because within a family, pride is way more than money. And when I was in baseball, this was always the time of year for the January owner's meeting. Four owner's meetings per year, quarterly owner's meetings. There's always one in January. And it's not the one right after the World Series. That's the November one where you applaud for the Texas Rangers, and then they accept your applause, and you're really MFing them behind their back because they won and you didn't. January is where you get updates on the finances of baseball. It's right before It's the last meeting before the next season's spring training. There's still some unsigned free agents, so the commissioner always yells at you, don't sign for that amount of money, don't do this, don't do that. What I would do normally when Bud Seal was commissioner, the January owners meetings took place in Arizona. There was an owner named um, Bob Castellini, who owned the Cincinnati Reds, who owns a hotel in the Phoenix area. And it's a hotel where rooms are sort of in the mountains. It's right near Camelback, the sanctuary. Thank you, Coca. How would you know where I was? in January. So we go to the sanctuary and Arizona at this time of year is three hours behind. And so I would wake up and I would watch the live Oscar nominations at 5.30 a.m. Sometimes, some of the years, not many, but some of the years, the owners meetings were in the Eastern time zone and owners meetings have the same schedule always. On the day of the meeting, it's 8 a.m. breakfast and then the 8.30 general meeting or if it's the day of committee meetings, it's 8 a.m. breakfast and you have your first committee meetings at 8.30. But for me, the Academy Award nominations were always announced at 8.30. So anytime I was in either a general meeting or a committee meeting, I would go back to my room, pretending that I had to use the bathroom because you couldn't have multiple screens the way I have now, or I've got my iPad ready to go on Good Morning America, waiting for the live announcements here in 26 minutes or 27 minutes. So I have to go back to the room and I'd have the hotel TV on and a little nugget for all of you, I never use hotel TVs at all. But in this instance, there would be no other way to get it. So I'd have it ready to go. And my owner, Jeffrey Laurie, had never picked up on the fact and Rob Manford and Bob DuPay and Bud Selig and all the people in baseball, they never, why would they focus on it? Because you can just disappear and people assume, you know, you've got some Gaviscon requirements. So I would go back to my room and watch the announcements. Hall of Fame was always a big deal when you had a franchise, where a player of your franchise, had a chance. All the way up until 2010, when Andre Dawson finally got elected into the Hall of Fame, we would be ready for Andre because I worked with him from 02 when I got to Florida. He was an existing special assistant, kept him on and started this amazing lifelong relationship with Andre Dawson. And we would get ready each year be help him with, we would help him with PR, we'd help him with statements because we thought he was always going to get in. Finally, in 2010, he got in, and I remember that announcement and that phone call, a little nugget here, the players get the call early, the teams get the call early, but you're embargoed. And so all you can do is prepare everything, which you do, but the moment up to when you get the call, because it doesn't happen live. so. What you'll see tonight, and I probably shouldn't. Is this too much Coke? I don't mean to do it. But when the players are interviewed live on MLB Network at six o'clock when the announcements read, they're not hearing it for the first time. Just a little fact. It has to be that way because you gotta check the connections. You have to make sure they're available for the interviews. And so there is a pre-phone call, which gets you ready to go. In 2010, We rented a house in Cooperstown in July and 10 of us went to watch Andre Dawson get inducted. I've told you from the beginning of Nothing Personal that I will be in Cooperstown in July to watch Ichiro get put into the Hall of Fame July of 25. Coco, we are gonna do shows from Cooperstown. We are going to be there with Ichiro. Can't guarantee we'll get an interview. He does not like giving interviews as much as he and I love each other. I've asked him to be on Nothing Personal so many times and he just won't do it. It doesn't take away my feelings for him. So let's talk about a little bit the Hall of Fame announcement. I'm gonna wait on Oscars because we're gonna be live here shortly with some Oscar nominations. And what we don't get to today, we'll go through some snubs and surprises tomorrow because my list is ready of every single category. And I have more than five in each category so I can outline who got snubbed, who didn't in the major categories. Hall of Fame, we are ready at 6 p.m. It used to be a much bigger mystery. And then for whatever reason in this age of information, people thought, you know what, let's start a ballot tracker. So these three guys started tracking ballots, whatever ballots were made public, and then they would assign a math equation to it and say, if you're at this percentage with this number of ballots made public, then you can expect this percentage and you're either over 75 or you're not. Right now, we know for sure that Adrian Beltre is in the Hall of Fame. It's not even, we don't need to wait till two o'clock. We don't need to wait till six o'clock. He's on a number, the number of public ballots he's on, there is no scenario where he falls below 75%. He's at 99.8%. Two guys left him off the ballot and I'm thankful. Adrian Beltre should not be the first position player unanimously selected as a position player in the first year of balloting. Definitely a hall of famer, but to me, when I think first ballot, forget unanimous, just first ballot. I understand that once you're in, you're in. And that 20 years later, no one remembers what ballot. But today, when the ballots come out and every year when they come out to be associated as a first ballot hall of famer, that means you are the best of the best. And to be a Hall of Famer, you have to be the best of the best of the best. But to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, you better be the best of 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 the best. Adrian Beltre, Hall of Famer, but certainly not in that category. And then we're gonna have Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer, the catcher for the twins, got that huge contract from the low revenue twins. The post, were not gonna get contracted, please. Carl Polat led twins, injuries got him behind the plate. He ended up being a DH first baseman, first ballot Hall of Famer, outstanding player. No doubt about it. When we would face a team, I liked talking to you about the meetings we would have, where we'd have pitchers meetings and hitters meetings, and we'd go through our approach. This is pre-analytics, during analytics, post-analytics. All teams had these meetings where you go through what your exact pitching approach is to every one of their hitters, not just the starters, but the guys off the bench. You go through with your pitchers, what your approach is to the other team's hitters, everybody. We would have this guy will not beat us category. A this guy will not beat us category is when we sit in the meeting and say to the pitchers, I don't care if the bases are loaded. I don't care if there's a man on third with one out. I don't care what the situation is. Do not let Barry Bonds beat you. If you go back over the game logs of the thousands of games that I was president of a team for, it is thousands, I think. 18 times 160. Yeah, it's close to thousands. Someone once told me what my record was. I asked our audience, what my final record was. I think I won 1,000 games and lost 1,000 games and finished below 500 for my career. I remember clear as day when we violated the Barry Bonds rule and gave up a home run to him. We were a pro player. I was sitting next to the dugout. He comes up in extra innings, hits a home run in the top of the 10th or top of the 11th, top of the 12th. I don't remember what it was. And I just remember going to the clubhouse after that game and knowing that I had to wait till the next morning because I didn't want to violate my 30-minute rule where I don't run and talk to the player or run and yell at the manager. But I remember thinking to myself, in 31 minutes, I need to find out what happened to the, we don't let this guy beat us category. Joe Maurer and Adrian Beltre were never in that category. There's another player who may make the Hall of Fame today. His name is Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner was in that category. The other way, it was the, I know Eric is on steroids, but man, we can never get to him. Oh my God, Lenny Harris just made a blown save for Gagne in the 2003 season in LA. I won't soon forget that. People don't remember the dominance of steroid Eric Gagne, a number five, number six, or number seven starting pitcher who we traded for. We had a trade done, trading Milton Bradley to the Dodgers for Eric Gagne until the Dodgers backed out. And then he started taking steroids, and then he was unhittable. Billy Wagner, no steroids. I met Billy Wagner several times. I'm small, 5'5", five, five, if you'll let me say that. 135, now that I am 23 days into vegan, I'm back down at my weight that I like. Even got to 134, Coca, but I had pasta the other day, vegan pasta with vegan sauce. Got me back over 135. Back to weigh myself 12 times a day. Sorry, doc. I know I'm in violation of everything we worked on. Billy Wagner is five. I don't know what he's listed at. Coca. What's he listed at? Five ten. He's not five ten. Billy Wagner threw hundred from the left side. Played for the Phillies. Played for the Mets. Played for the Astros. When Billy Wagner was on the mound, we had no chance to win the game. It just simply was not going to happen. And so we all knew very clearly that the game was shortened. Before the show today, Coke and I were prepping for the show. I said, just out of curiosity, did we ever get to Billy Wagner? It turns out that the Marlins forced Billy Wagner to four blown saves. I don't remember any of those. I remember only the 34 saves or something he got against us, not the four blown ones, but way to go us. But when you talk about Hall of Famer, Once we got over the hump of relievers in the Hall of Fame from Raleigh Fingers on up and then, of course, Mariano Rivera, Billy Wagner was a Hall of Fame closer, not just because he was diminutive and maybe even a little cocksure. I need to let people in on that inside joke. There was a profile written about me in Montreal, and I was called in uh, Florida by a woman named Sarah Talley. who used to work for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. And she wrote that I was diminutive and cocksure. I called her up. I said, come on. She said, well, what, what what do you mean? You are diminutive. I said, that's true, but it seems like a pejorative word. No, it's an adjective. It's descriptive. Here it is in the book of what writers use. Cocksure? Cocksure? All right. I was wrong. So I think tonight at six o'clock, we're going to have three people into the Hall of Fame, Beltre, Mauer and Wagner. As a matter of fact, Coca, I'm gonna do a double wait to see when we say something's gonna happen, if it does, great, if it doesn't, great, but we'll revisit it. Just like we're revisiting the Josh Hader wait to see, Coca. Nailed that one. What was the date of that one? What was the date? What was the date? January 19th, go back to that show. I said, Josh Hader will not surpass 5.105, and he got 95 that he wasn't gonna get past Diaz, notwithstanding the horse hockey tweets of present value. Oh, it looks like he got less than Diaz. No, no, he got $105 million. That's what Diaz got. Hater got 95. So we're taking a yes for that wait to see. Today's wait to see is that we'll have three people join Jimmy Leland, former Marlon skipper. Jimmy Leland, three people, Beltre, Maurer, Wagner. So who am I leaving out? Todd Helton, close, no cigar this year. Gary Sheffield, 10th and final year on the ballot. Gary Sheffield, who has the cloud of steroids over him, a cloud of surliness that impacted his relationship with the writers, acknowledged only doing the cream, whatever, not gonna get in on year 10. Does he deserve to? Is he a hall of famer? Someone asked me, on on a show I did this morning with Miller and Moulton. I think one of them said to me this morning, what my view is of steroid guys in the hall of fame when they were hall of famers before they did steroids. And the argument is, Bonds was a hall of famer before he did steroids, A-Rod, Clemens, all hall of famers before they did steroids. And my response this morning was, if you live your whole life as a pious, perfect person, and then you commit a crime, you do not get away with the crime you're charged with the crime, you go to prison. You don't get say, hey, I used to be good, now I'm not. Just because you used to be good, doesn't mean that you can then break the rules, take steroids, and as players have said to me, hey, everyone else was doing it, why not? Well, talk to Mr. Marlon Jeff Conine, why not? Jeff Conine gave up tens of millions of dollars in earnings, tens of millions of dollars of earnings by not doing steroids. He could have gone the Brady Anderson route 18 home runs, 16 home runs, 14 home runs. Hey, I'm a free agent, let me do steroids. 50 home runs, let me sign a huge contract, then let me not take steroids. 18 home runs, 16 home runs, 14 home runs. Huh, one of these things is not like the other. You're damn right. I cannot believe the union will not let us take away the guarantee of contracts for players who test positive for steroids, like we're gonna get in the way and ruin their PP when they stink. Give me a break, would you please? I do not believe steroid people should have plaques in the Hall of Fame. I do believe that Roger Clemens, Pete Rose. Speaking of Pete Rose, well, we're gonna speak about Pete Rose in a minute, but Clemens, A-Rod, Bonds. I think there should be exhibits in Cooperstown because they're a part of baseball history. There's a difference between having an exhibit about yourself versus having a plaque in the plaque room and being a Hall of Famer. The story of baseball has to include Bonds and Rose we are 13 minutes away from oscar nominations paul giamatti is going to get nominated for best actor let me just check my cheat sheet best actor yes he is paul giamatti number two on my list not that doesn't mean he's going to finish second it means he's going to get nominated for a movie called the holdovers paul giamatti's father is bart giamatti speaking of hall of fame and pete rose not being in the hall of fame the reason pete rose is not in the hall of fame is that Bart Giamatti banned him for life when he was commissioner, and then a few days later dropped dead. Bart Giamatti had a son named Paul Giamatti, who was going to be nominated for an Oscar and win his first Oscar. Spoiler alert, win his first Oscar on March 11th. Bud Sealing became interim commissioner later, and he would not, under any circumstance, go against Bart Giamatti go against his memory, go against his wishes, when Bart Amati felt very clearly and strongly that Pete Rose should be banned for life, so he would never reinstate him. When Rob Manfred became commissioner, I sat with Rob during the running up to the vote in Baltimore in 2013 or 14, whenever that was, and talked about Pete Rose, and I had a view that I thought Pete Rose should have been reinstated for purposes of eligibility to the Hall of Fame. I wanted to pass the buck From the commissioner's office to the writers let the writers decide if pete rose would be in the hall of fame but pete rose cannot even appear on a ballot because he is not active he's not in good standing he's on the banished list in baseball you cannot be considered for the ballot unless you are a member of good standing in major league baseball now it's all very very what's the word when two siblings incestuous it's all very incestuous the board of the hall of fame is made up of mostly owners. Believe me, funding from baseball helps Cooperstown. But at the end of the day, I always thought that the commissioner could get away with, even while Bud Selig was alive, could get away with not allowing Pete Rose to work for a team, not allowing Pete Rose to make appearances, which he still has been granted the ability to do some reunion appearances on the field in Cincinnati or Philly. But Rob Manford never did it, never agreed to do it. Pete Rose is getting older. My view of Pete Rose is the writers shouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame. My view is Pete Rose should have an exhibit in the Hall of Fame as the second hits leader behind each row worldwide. You know who else is not gonna make the Hall of Fame? Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon was one of those players when he was on the Nats that we feared. We didn't have him in the don't let him, don't let him beat you category. But man, we had a pitching approach for Anthony Rendon. He was a free agent and signed that huge deal with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. For those of you thinking that Artie Moreno wasn't spending money or trying to win with Otani and with Trout, Rendon was the best position player, way above average third baseman and a bat to die for. What we knew about Anthony Rendon when he got that contract with Anaheim, and we talked about it in our baseball room around the winter meetings and GM meetings and all the way up until the beginning of his career in Anaheim, is that. He's not the type of player you give a long-term deal to. Now, I cannot take credit for realizing or for thinking that he would only have appeared in 200 games in his first four years with Anaheim. I would not have guessed that. I would not have guessed. But what I would have guessed is what came out from Rendon himself recently when he did a show, the Jack Vita show. When asked about baseball, he said, we got to shorten the season, man. It's too many dang games. We got to shorten this bad boy up. People are now saying he doesn't like baseball. Jonathan Papelbon, a former teammate, came out and did an entire tweet. Yeah, I can confirm, Papelbon said, played with Rendon, he hates baseball. I know a lot of players who don't like baseball. I'd like you to consider this. Think about your workplace. Does everybody in your workplace love working there? If you answer yes to that, you're lying. No matter where you work, there are people who would rather be doing something else. They'd rather be home on the couch, they'd rather be in a different industry. Why would you think that baseball players are different? Or football players, or actors, or musicians? or podcast hosts. In this case, I could not love more what I do, or producers. I think Coca loves what he does too. I never cared if a player of mine didn't like baseball. I never cared if a player of mine didn't like his job. I just cared if they did their job. There are many, many stories about Derek Jeter and how proud he was. Yeah, I don't watch baseball, I don't like baseball. Ironically, he's now a host on Fox with A-Rod, which is the worst combination ever given their relationship, Jeter would brag about the lack of baseball. He would watch, didn't care about it. Plenty of players feel that way, not a negative. The reason I wouldn't sign Rendon to a long-term deal was not about his love or dislike of baseball. It was something different. It was, how do we avoid paying players at the high? And we have heard a bunch of GMs talk about this, a bunch of team presidents. I've been guilty of overpaying players. God knows did we overpay a lot of players. From Salty to my main man, John Buck, who I love, you know we overpaid you, to Heath Bell, to Wei-Yin Chen. The list goes on. The reason why you try not to overpay is no matter what your payroll is, you cannot overcome too many overpays. If you have a lower third payroll, you can barely overcome one overpay. If you have an upper third payroll, you can overcome one to two overpays. If you're the top of the heap, Mets, Dodgers, et cetera, you can overcome three to five overpays. So you have to know sort of where you stand. And when you sign someone at the heights, and then GMs come out, even last yesterday's press conference, Mayo, the new coach of the Patriots, hey, we're ready to burn some cash, baby. John Middleton, owner of the Phillies, we're ready to overpay, spend stupid money. As though fans are supposed to be, this is so great. We've got the best ownership in the world. They're gonna spend like drunken sailors with reckless abandon. Why? It's not gonna be helpful. You gotta know a player. If a player doesn't like baseball and then they get paid in a long-term contract, and they're not exactly self-motivated or highly motivated. Are you not worried that they're not gonna be able to perform the way they have performed and that you're paying for past performance, not future performance, which is the act o- exact, four, eight, 69, which is the exact opposite of what teams like the Braves do when they sign their young players, they pay for future performance. Love that. It doesn't always work because you're paying young players and it's very hard to make it, or you could be Wander Francoed and not perform, or you could be Chris Singleton, not perform. I'm certainly not comparing Singleton to Franco, by the way. I'm saying that when you sign young players, you're paying for future performance, which is a good step, but still there's such risks, which is why I get to bring it all back to my favorite concept, make everyone a free agent, and make sure they can only sign one-year deals. I'm happy to pay any first-year player $45 million. Love it, I'm in but you better play well if you want your second 45. All right. Did I do the wait to see? Beltre, Maurer, Wagner will be announced as elected into the Hall of Fame. My second part of that wait to see, just to make sure we have it confirmed and booked, Matthew, is that Ichiro next year will be the first position player to ever be unanimously selected in his first year of eligibility. Wait to see we come back, we're going to review a movie, the new movie directed by George Clooney. We are minutes away from the first set of Oscar nominations, live announcement. And then we're going to talk about a deal that John Skipper and I have talked about on the sporting class with Pablo Torre. And John Skipper had some definite thoughts on Netflix. And it's possible that our friend John Skipper may be surprised by what Netflix announced this morning. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. If you're watching this live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson, the YouTube channel, you caught me just looking to my left where I've got the screen ready for the 831 nominations. They're at 831 and 841. So after the show, which ends at 845, I'll be done in time to get Coke out of my ear and see Best Picture nominees. Thank you for voting for us for Best Sports Business Podcast and Best Baseball Podcast. Voting is still open for five more days. Go to sportspodcastgroup.com and vote for nothing personal. All the people who are nominated today for an Oscar, they are gonna be interviewed. They'll go on the talk shows. They'll be on Twitter. They'll be so thankful, so appreciative. On Oscar night, March 11th, and I have a big announcement about Oscar night, but we're not ready to make it yet, but we got a big announcement coming, Matt. Mr. Coca. there'll be cameras on them and they'll applaud and they'll cheer. But guess what? They won't be happy for the winner. So I want you to know that I will not be happy if we don't win best sports business podcast. So please vote. Thank you. Watch a movie every day. I watched the boys in the boat, you know, from my new year's resolutions that I'm not a voracious reader. I loved, I had a personal relationship, went out on a few dates with someone named spark and cliff last name notes. I just didn't have the attention. If I were a child today, I would be on ADD medicine guaranteed. As I look back at my childhood, I could not sit still, I would get kicked out of class all the time. I didn't go to class all through college and law school. I'm sorry. Sorry, Professor Rudenstein. So I never read many books, start to finish. I did read The Boys in the Boat. I can't explain why. It's almost insane. Boys in the Boat is about a rowing team, crew. You know the guys with the, here's a funny one. George Cantu, Jorge Cantu is a player of ours, part of the greatest hitting infield of all time, actually. Believe it or not, he, Ugla, Mike Jacobs and Hanley and George Cantu have a record. At least they did for the most home runs by any four infielders, each having 25 or more. I think that's a record. I don't know if it's been broken now. Maybe it has. And he would always call me, what's up, jockey? Because I was always small. And I would say, I'm not a jockey, I'm a coxswain. It's really coxswain. Those are the guys on the crew boat, the small guys in front yelling, row, row, pull, faster, slower, in sync, hey, number four, you suck. Boys in the Boat is about a team from the University of Washington, coached by Joel Edgerton, that's the actor, who makes it all the way to the Olympics in Berlin in 1936. Spoiler alert, they had a hell of a run. The book is far more detailed about the significance of Americans winning a medal in that sport. And that's the Hitler Olympics. The movie is not as good as the book. It wasn't terrible, but it was not nearly as good as the book. Now I know everyone always says that, but I always like movies better than the book. But in this case, I liked the book better than the movie. And you're gonna say, David, but you never read the book. You only watch the movie. So what's your frame of reference? And I'll say, you got me. I think you can skip this. It's not gonna be nominated for anything. It's not in any way Oscar worthy. The story, however, is incredible. 1936 Berlin Olympics, the University of Washington crew team and what they went through to get there and then what they did in Berlin. So an announcement came out today and we are now minutes away from the first nominations. Like now, we're about to go live, it's happening now. They always make people wake up really early. I don't know who's announcing today, but I know that it's only 5.30. And I know people who wake up, I think last we had like 10% of our people are waking up and engaging with us really, really early. And we appreciate that because we're live at 8 a.m. Eastern. And so the announcements are made at 5.30 a.m. And of course you've got to do makeup, you've got to get dressed, you've got to do rehearsals, you've got a room full of reporters, a room full of VIPs. It's 5.30 in the morning when they're doing this. I love that. I want to talk about what was announced by Netflix, big day for Netflix. It would be that everyone wants Oscars. When Apple TV won best picture, was it last year with Coda? or the year before, I can't remember which year. It really matters. You may think that winning a best picture does not matter, but it means money. Oppenheimer is obviously the favorite to win best picture this year. Netflix, we've been talking to you about them getting into live events, live sporting events, dipping their toe in the water. John Skipper did a show with me, together we did a show, I did a show with him, where John wasn't so sure that Netflix and live events that that's actually what they were doing are they a serious bidder for live events well there's about a 6.9% chance that john is listening to this or will ever hear this john we got it wrong netflix is very much in the live event business guess what they announced this morning they're taking over WWE Monday Night Raw you want to watch Monday Night Raw it's going to be live on netflix every week, every Monday night. I don't think you appreciate the significance of this deal. WWE is that new, remember, they merged that whole TKO, the whole situation going on with Vince McMahon and his daughter. It's stuff that we've covered on previous episodes. I know you remember. They've got a bunch of rights deals. Now, WWE is a scripted show, as you know, it's not a true live sport event hey it's dennis quaid's son doing the announcement they have smackdown they have raw they have nxt they have premium events like the royal rumble and what they do is they farm out these different events they farm it out to different networks and they add it all up and they have a broadcast package That broadcast package is exactly what the NBA does or the NFL or Major League Baseball. There is no difference. Anytime you have another bidder for one of your packages, guess what, as we see supporting role about to come out now, guess what? You want as many bidders as possible because it drives the price up. WWE is now getting Sterling Brown nominated. Yes! From This Is Us for American Fiction. Of course you have the what you would imagine with De Niro and Downey, Ryan Gosling from Barbie. And then the fifth one, this could be the surprise. No, Mark Ruffalo. So let me just do supporting action, then I won't do another one, I'm sorry. I had my first five as De Niro, Brown, Ruffalo, Gosling and Downey, that's it. Dominique Sess of the Holdovers, William Defoe, Charles Melton of May, December, shut down, shut out. That's too bad. So WWE says, you know what? Let me see if Netflix will bid for something. We were making $260 million. What do you give? They offered $400 million, $400 million per year on a long-term deal for the Monday night, raw, you want to watch it. And a lot of you do, you got to go to Netflix. Why is Netflix in this business? They're in the storytelling business. What greater story is WWE? That's what they do. It's a story, it's a script. So instead of raw being on USA network, they move over to Netflix, which enables Netflix to do documentaries around the WWE enables them to do other sort of live events, live programming, live storytelling, and it's brilliant. But to say that Netflix is no longer involved or not a real bidder for NBA or MLB or NFL, you're just wrong. They are in the live event business because it's driving sales. People will get Netflix. And then you could watch all the Adam Sandler or Kevin Hart movies, most of which are terrible now, unfortunately, but you're gonna pay the monthly fee. The COO, and president of WWE's parent company, TKO, is a guy named Mark Shapiro, not the guy from Toronto, said this deal is transformative. It marries the can't-miss WWE products with Netflix's extraordinary global reach and locks in, wait for it, the most important thing, significant and predictable economics for many years. That's the dream. When you've got something to sell when you're trying to get a valuation for your shareholders. You want predictable, sustained revenue. You worried that Netflix is not gonna come through? Think they're gonna do a Diamond or a Bally's? Not so fast. I'm quite excited about the deal. Netflix has a chief content officer because that's what they're in the business of doing is getting content. WWE is content. We're excited to have WWE Raw and it's huge and passionate, multi-generational fan base on Netflix. Hmm, Why would Netflix, a movie studio, be interested in multi-generational, all demographics, all those who love WWE? I'm trying to think what would be the benefit to having all those people see the rest of your content. I can't quite think of it, but maybe it'll come to me. By combining our reach, this is Netflix, Chief Content Officer, By combining our reach, recommendations, and fandom with WWE, we'll be able to deliver more joy and value for their audiences and our members. It's the best, Raw. is the best of sports entertainment. Blending great characters and storytelling. Hmm. You blend great characters, storytelling with live action, and guess what you get? You get a deal for $400 million. We have an upset in the supporting actress, by the way. Danielle Brooks just got nominated, and America Ferrera, which means Sandra Huller may not get it. Divine Joy Randolph has to get it, and Jodie Foster did get one. I had America Ferrera, I had uh, Jodie Foster, Divine Joy Randolph, I had Julianne Moore, but it was not Danielle Brooks got it instead. No Julianne Moore, no Penelope Cruz and Ferrari either. You think WWE is just done? They're just starting. They are just starting. I've got something that has started that I wanna end. This is not gonna be a popular take and I wanna apologize in advance, but here you go. I don't ever want fans rushing the court, ever. I want fans who rush the playfield to be arrested. I know you suck the joy out of everything, David. And yes, I've got Monica Sellis in my mind. Yes, I've got malice in the palace in my mind. I didn't really have Caitlin Clark in my mind, the fantastic Iowa player who got knocked down after a game just a couple days ago. Fans rushed the court, and she was trying to get off the court. I had flashbacks to Chris Chambliss bowling people over when people were rushing the field at Yankee Stadium, when the Yankees won in the 70s, 77, 76, 78, 77 or 78. I just want to bring you inside my head when you are the president of a team at a home game, you're so worried about the safety of your fans and your players. The majority of my career was post nine 11. There wasn't one game where at the end of the game, when the gates closed and the final person was out of the parking lot that I didn't have a sigh of relief. I enjoyed the end of the All-Star Game in 2017 more than the All-Star Game because we made it through the weekend without a problem. I enjoyed the end of our three game set, games three, four, and five of the World Series. I enjoyed game six, games one, two, and six in Yankee Stadium way more than the home games of three, four, five. By the way, game five of the O3 World Series being the last time anybody won a playoff game at Pro Player Stadium. That's right, no Dolphin wins. You worry about fan safety? You worry about player safety. What's the reason to storm the court? I'm just curious. When you really like a Broadway play, do you get to storm the stage? When you really like the fact that a plane landed, do you get to storm a cockpit? Obviously not. People really don't get to be anywhere they're not allowed to be. I love you so much, David, I'm gonna storm your house. No, you can't. That's trespassing, that's crime. It is made very clear when you buy a ticket that there are areas you are not allowed to go. What stops people from storming the castle, from storming the clubhouse? Forget the fact that Caitlin Clark may or may not have gotten hurt, could have gotten hurt. We know that Edwin Diaz got hurt just celebrating his players. Players can get hurt not in the field of play during action. I get it, but I can't control what security can't control. And that's been my issue. I think the rules have to change. And here's what I would do. In baseball, we put netting around and we told you that's because we didn't want batted balls, we didn't want that in the stands. We didn't want bats or balls to hurt anybody because we didn't want to get sued. The other benefit of netting around the field, no access. You want to get the field, you got to jump the outfield wall. You want to jump the outfield wall, you're going to take some time to get to players and we're going to get to you faster. You can't put a cage around a basketball arena. Absolutely not. Not suggesting you do, not making it like UFC. But what I am suggesting is a deterrent. And I have been yelling deterrent since I was in law school. The thing about deterrent is that it has to be a punishment that is so severe that when people are thinking about doing something, they think twice because they don't want to be punished. For people who trespass, what we would do are people who jump on the field and I changed the rule at Marlins Park and at Pro Player. We had a holding cell in the facility. We'd bring the person to the holding cell, let them go. I changed that and I made it very public that what we were going to do is that we were going to charge, make sure charges were pressed against anyone Went onto our field. It pretty much stopped it. No matter how drunk you are, you realize if you're not going to get away with it, there's going to be a consequence to your action. You're not going to do it. I cannot have a player getting hurt, or a fan for that matter. My feelings are hurt after losing my son's pick over the Bulls. I'm down to 13 and 11, which is not ideal. We had the Suns giving five and a half to the Bulls. Did you see Kevin Durant's winning shot? By chance, double clutching. Let me just say this. The Phoenix Suns are fine. They're not elite. Being able to cover five and a half against the Bulls should have happened. Four Daughters nominated for Best Documentary, as it should. Make sure you go see it. I reviewed it here on Nothing Personal. I have not reviewed 20 Days in Mari Paul, but I've seen it. And there's still three I have to see now. Let me give you my pick for tomorrow. Tonight, actually. Taking the Pelicans minus six over the Jazz. Have you been paying attention to the Pelicans? To Zion? No, he's not overtaking John Morant in my mind. No, none of them are overtaking R.J. Barrett in my mind. The Pelicans need to play well into April and May and even June for me to even think twice. But they are playing well. The Utah Jazz had that big streak. We won a pick of the day against the Jazz. We're gonna win this one too. Pelican six over the Jazz. We will have our breakdown of the conference championships at the end of this week with our picks. We will have a full rundown of any snubs or surprises tomorrow. I promise you that for Oscar nominations. In the meantime, turn on ABC or go to oscars.com, catch the last few minutes of announcements. And until tomorrow at 8 a.m., It's just business. This is nothing personal.
0: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines, instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.